0: Señoras nosotros tenemos más influencia con sus hijos que tú tienes, pero los queremos creado y regado de los ángeles, guanas adicción. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast on this beautiful, amazing Thursday. I hope your day is filled with not only excitement, but also contemplation. Sometimes it's well worthwhile to take a few quiet moments to think about those things for which you're thankful for. A few minutes of quiet contemplation to clear your mind and realize that you are the fragrance in flowers, that you exist in all that exists, like a speck of dust floating in a beam of light shining down through a hole in the roof of a dark room. Boom! There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Think about that for a minute. Since we're thinking about deep thoughts, I wanted to touch upon an issue that I have been thinking about for quite some time. I actually wrote about it in my book, Terror Before the Sacred, that is out on Amazon now. Fascinating book, if I do say so myself with a shameless plug. In that book, I talked about how you can see yourself in nature how I believe that nature has a fractal component to it. I'll give you the example of the snail shell. I've done it in other podcasts. I've done it in my book, and I'm going to do it for you now. Think about a snail shell. Have you ever wondered how a snail shell comes to be? Well, our slithering, slimy so happy little creatures are born with this calcium-rich protrusion on their back, which is the first ring in the shell. And as they're born, they seek out the green, calcium-rich nutrients in your garden. That's why they're always eating everything in your garden, and you seem to want to take them and throw them, get them out of your garden. However, imagine now that we've imagined the small snail and how their shell was brought about, let's think about a full-grown snail and a snail with a huge shell and the spiral pattern that it seems to take, the sort of almost astrological shape. And by that I mean something like a spiral galaxy. So if you were to take a snail shell and cut a cross-section of it, you would see, for lack of a better word, chambers or rooms that are similar in shape, however bigger in size. So it's a repeating pattern of ever-growing similar shapes. That is the shell of the snail. And the way you could think about that is by thinking about your daily routine. For an adult, it's probably wake up at 5, go downstairs, make breakfast, get your kids ready for school, get out the door, go to work, do your job, come home, eat dinner, talk to your spouse, go to bed, Wake up in the morning, go downstairs, get ready, go to work, come home, go to bed. Wake up, go to st- go downstairs, get ready for work, go to work, come home, go to bed. Get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. Get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. And if you think about that repetitive pattern, as you get older... There may be more to do in that pattern. Maybe you got to take your kid to school. Maybe you get a new job. Maybe you buy a bigger house. The chamber gets bigger. The room gets bigger. But the pattern stays the same. The same way in which a snail shell grows ever bigger rooms, so too do you grow in your patterns with ever bigger rooms. However, the pattern remains the same. I want you just to think about that for a minute. I give other examples in my book, but here's another way to look at it. The organism is a model for the planet. So if we can use the snail shell as a way to recognize repetitive patterns, not only in a calcium-rich, protective shell of a snail, but we can also see the patterns of our lives represented in the model of the snail shell. We can also see it on a bigger scale, the way erosion works, the way the forces of the earth work. So we can see this fractal nature of from the smallest life forms all the way through the planet on which we live. It's a crafty way of verifying the idea that you are part of the universe recognizing itself. Have you heard that before? We are all part of the universe recognizing ourself. I was listening to an interesting conversation between Jordan Peterson and and Dawkins, And somewhere in the conversation, they had mentioned that the organism is a model. An organism that operates in the world has to be a model of that world in order for it to be able to operate in that world. I'm going to say it again because I think it's very profound. An organism that operates in the world has to be a model of that world in order for it to be able to operate in that world. So that means all life forms, but not only life forms, but ideas. If we look at ideas that have a life of their own, those ideas must operate using a model of the world in which we live. So can you think about some ideas that maybe you have or maybe organizations that you're part of that... Operate by the same rules that you do. Here's one for you off the top of my head. Money is free speech. Corporate personhood. You see, this is kind of an odd one. And this is why I think corporations are failing. We have given corporations personhood. We have decided that corporations are people. And so they are able to have some of the same rights as people. And that's fine. However, you have to treat them like people if you're going to use that model. So if we hold that model to be true, then corporations should be able to be given the death sentence the same way that some places give people death sentence. There should be that model. There should be the threat of that model there. If there's a person who's a serial killer and is found in Texas, Texas will apply capital punishment. They will kill that person. And in my opinion, rightfully so. However, if you're a corporation and you kill thousands of people for profit, you get rewarded. In some ways, a serial killer is a lot like a corporation. A serial killer, be it like John Wayne Gacy or the Night Stalker, seems to be an irrational individual that takes pleasure in that takes pleasure in doing something that is harmful potentially even to the death of somebody else. I know they didn't come out exactly like I wanted it. A serial killer is someone who for a psychological reason or an emotional reason, for some reason, is willing to do what the rest of the world knows to be wrong. That's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Maybe they were hurt. Maybe they were beaten. Maybe there's a lot of different reasons why a serial killer does the things they do. A corporation... Let me give you an example. I saw a documentary a while back about the Walton family and Walmart, and they showed these products that were in Walmart and this was a this was a chair, like a a big rocking chair or something to the effect, and they showed this rocking chair you could buy at Walmart for like sixty bucks or sixty five dollars and then they went to this sweatshop in some third world country where a woman was making that chair and she was making a penny a day, working ridiculous hours in an incredibly poor environment. They took that woman that was making a penny a day and they brought her to the United States and they showed her this chair inside the Walmart selling for $65 and she started crying. She realized the incredible Unfair nature, that was the reality in which she lived. It was heart wrenching. You see, this person in a third world country that has kids has nothing, and is making a penny, one penny. And they show what the final product is selling for, and it's it's mind blowing. Well, they take this film, they take this girl's testimony, they take the video, and they show it to the Walton family. And they say, look, do you think maybe you could pay this person one more penny? And without blinking an eye, the representative of the Walton family says, I'm trying to figure out how to get her a penny less. See, that is psychopathic in nature. Which brings me to the idea of John Ronson's book, The the psychopath. I think it's called the psychopath theory. I don't know. Look it up. I'll try to put it in the show notes, but it's called, you know what it's called? It's called the psychopath test. And in this book, John Ronson details the, there's a test you can take. Anybody can take it. In fact, I think it's big in psychological circles. And I think it's probably in the DSM. But if you answer yes, yes, to the majority of these questions, then you can be labeled a psychopath. And he gives evidence in his book that the majority of people leading corporations do in fact have psychopath tendencies, which leads me full circle back to the idea that corporations are like serial killers, which means ideas, which means the planet on which we live must on some level be psycho be psychopathic is that a word psychopathic right that gets back to my premise of the organism is a model so on some level we do live in a world that is Machiavellian, on some world, on some level, we do live in this world where the strong survive. On some level, if in fact the psychopath can make it to the top and lead, then this world we live in must on some level operate in those same terms. And if that's the case, then maybe people are operating under a false idea, a false premise of fairness. We know life isn't fair. We know that life sometimes seems to have no rhyme or reason. But if the world rewards Psychopathic behavior. Then, why are not more people acting like psychopaths? You know, why not? If you look at the CEOs of major banks and major corporations, it seems to me that they have been rewarded. It seems to me that the a lot a lot of people at the height of power, have committed crimes against humanity. It seems to me that a corporation, Fortune 500 corporations or military-industrial complex contracts, it seems to me that the fact we we spend billions and trillions of dollars on weapons. I think you could make the argument that warfare is the highest achievement of humankind. And I don't know if that's magic or tragic or sad or what. But there's clearly more money that goes into weapons and death and destruction than there is that goes into poetry and novels and beauty. You could argue that the impact and explosion of weapons is beautiful. You see, and this just gets us right back to the model. The model. Everything is based on warfare. And if we just indulge me for a minute... If we're operating under the idea that warfare is the highest form of human achievement, then we're going to have perpetual war. We're going to have the perpetual model of abuse. I think that that is the precipice on which we find ourselves today. We can sit here and argue that beauty and culture and ideals About living a better life are the highest achievements of man. But that's not what is happening in our world. Let's break it down a little bit further. It seems to me, it seems to me that we are operating from scarcity. That's why we have warfare, we have a quest to achieve more and more resources. If you look at an organization, say like UPS or pick your Fortune 500 company, there's this idea that if you start at the bottom, you can work your way to the top. Well, what does that mean? That means starting at the bottom with no resources and then moving your way through the beginning, the middle and operating as the CEO at the end, that means that you have achieved the highest level of resource acquisition at that particular institution. And that seems to be a model for Western thought. We seem to have this idea that he who dies with the most toys wins. He who achieves the most resources has the best opportunity to reproduce. And let's look at the leaders. Be it Elon Musk Like, how many different wives does he have? Does he have, does Elon Musk have as many wives as a Saudi oil baron? Does the richest people in the world also have a harem of women? And I know that women aren't necessarily to be thought of as resources. But in the world of warfare and acquisition... The idea of reproduction must play a role. I know an amazing woman that investigates corporate security fraud. And she's chasing down a lot of criminals who have found ways to accumulate obscene amounts of wealth. And it seems to me that at this level, be it a woman or a man, none of them are married to the person they originally found themselves with. So what I'm saying is the conquest of resources, war as a model of achievement, will ultimately be the end of the human race. If we if we hold these ideals that conquest and war and weapons are everything. Then ultimately we will be nothing. Maybe that's where we are. Maybe that's where we are right now maybe this is the idea behind the green revolution maybe this is the idea behind behind resource acquisition if it is i you know i, I don't i don't know i don't know maybe in order to get more you have to let go Well, that's what I got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everyone has an amazing day. I'm going to dig down a little deeper. I think it's a very interesting conversation to have. And I think we can get more into Western ideas versus Eastern ideas. And for the record, I don't don't want to believe that warfare is the highest form of human achievement. I don't want to believe that. But there's a lot of fucking evidence that it might be. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we got for today. Aloha Thursday. Let's get up and get at home.